Welcome to Pale Blue Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. So cute. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am Dr. Moya McTeer. I'm an astrophysicist and a folklorist and a, a friend to the universe. I call the universe cute, too, all the time. Oh, yeah. I use cute a lot, and I'm starting to think people don't know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> some, some, I also use it a lot, and I almost always mean it as a compliment, me but too. I've recently discovered I don't always like when people call me cute. If someone calls me cute, that makes me feel like a baby. Yes. But if I call something cute, I mean like, oh, cool, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You get it. Yeah. You get it. And who who are you? And I am Corinne, <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot to say who I am. Corinne Caputo, writer, funny person, and a friend to the universe. And Happy New Year's, listeners. Oh, it's January Happy New 3rd. Year. 2024. It's going to be our year. That's so crazy. I love hearing that. I just got the chills. Oh, I was not thinking that, but maybe I will now. I'm I'm <laughs> insisting at the end of this episode, maybe we can share some, I don't know, resolutions or plans yeah. or anything for the new year. I really like that. Okay. I'll do okay. that for sure. And if you're hearing people shuffling about maybe or seats creaking or not creaking, we are in the private box of a symphony hall. We're very fancy today. Yes. It's very fancy. I wore comfy pants, but they're black. So it's kind of like fancy, you know? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's New Year's. It's like a fancy time of year. Mm -hmm. And and so I'm wearing a a very comfy dress, but it does have like sequins down the front. Yes. uh, In in shininess. So that I do I do kind of look like the universe. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even think of that when I whenever I wear sequins, I'm it's a universe costume. Yeah, you're just glittering like the cosmos does. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) We're t- I'm really excited about who we're talking about today because it is a really fun story. It is, yes, uh, and you will learn over the course of the episode why we are why we chose to record this episode in a symphony hall. Uh, but we are talking about the life and career and contributions of Caroline Herschel and and her brother William. <laughs> Very quietly, and also William. And also William. <laughs> they did a lot of work together, so it's kind of impossible to completely detangle the the stuff that he did versus what she did, and uh, it seems easier to just combine them in an episode where we are going to primarily be focusing on Caroline's contributions, mm-hmm. because I, her her story is way more interesting than his, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. So I can, I'll give us a little bit of overview of her early life. Caroline Herschel was born March 16th in 1750. I feel like this is the furthest back we've gone to cover a figure before. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think, I don't think we've ever talked about anyone who was born before the 1900s. Born before in a photograph, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice. We're reaching, we're reaching further yeah. back. Um, it's like really fun school vibes for me of like I'm putting a report together on like a trifold board (laughs) okay but Caroline was considered the first professional female astronomer which is very cool um Mm -hmm. she was the eighth child fourth daughter of Isaac Herschel and Anna I want to say it's Ilse uh Moritzen there were 10 children total which is insane to me wow that's a lot but they didn't all survive no no um Caroline and the other children got, like, this is now moving to her education. They kind of got a cursory education, learning to read and write, and, like, a little bit more than that. And her father really wanted to educate them at home, or the girls at home. 
but his efforts were mostly successful with the boys. And this is not mm. like a new concept to anybody, but like it was way easier to get an education as a boy than it was as a girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, her her mom, her mom also didn't help. Yeah, and we'll get to it. Her mom mm. really stopped a lot of um, enrichment activities for Caroline. <laughs> What a diplomatic way to say that. Yeah, because I wanted to cover, it's not just education, it's like also these kind of other skills she was trying to pick up to become mm-hmm. just a, a worker who could provide, I think. I don't want to say a useful person because I don't think that's tied, but just somebody who could do anything really outside of the home. Yeah. So the oldest daughter was Sophia. She was 16 years older than Caroline, and she was the only surviving girl besides Caroline. And Sophia got married when Caroline was five. And then it was expected that the younger child or the youngest girl would take on the household chores and things when the older daughter leaves and gets married. And that is what happened. So naturally, Caroline at five is now this figure in the home. When she was 10, she came down with typhus and the disease stunted her growth. She only grew to four feet, three inches. So tiny. Uh-huh. Or this is 1.3 meters, if you use that. Um, <laughs> if someone said they were one meter tall, I would be like, oh my God, they're six feet tall. <laughs> I just can't do the math in my head. Um, very small. Very, very small. Mm-hmm. She also mm-hmm. suffered vision loss in her left eye as a result of the typhus. So her family kind of assumed she was never going to get married. Um, she's never going to leave. Rude. And in fact, her mom, as we said, who's often the villain of this story, she thought it was best for Caroline to train to be a housemaid or a servant rather than become educated like Isaac wanted. But sometimes when her mother was gone, Caroline's father would tutor her individually or include <laughs> her in like her brother's lessons. And that's how she learned music, specifically how to play violin. It feels so Cinderella. Like, in so early, right. like, um, I'm thinking Ella Enchanted with Anne Hathaway, where, like, her and her dad were super close, and then he, like, dies. But um, mm-hmm. I think it's she, she was even from Hanover, Germany. Oh, my and, God. Like, and, like, the fairy tales are from, <laughs> from Germany. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you're right. So, briefly, Caroline was allowed to learn some dressmaking and needlework from a neighbor. And she had a long list of household chores to do, so she couldn't really always devote the time necessary to perfecting those skills or even like leveling up and perhaps if she did at the time she could have done more advanced needlework could have like done other things but again wasn't Mm -hmm. allowed pretty strict mom her father does die as happens in fairy tales Mm -hmm. and he was he was ill or injured for most of her life right yeah and he was also because he came from i believe like an army situation that the older brothers did too Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so her older brothers, William and Alexander, pitched the idea that Caroline join them in England and like have a trial period for William's church performances because he was performing music. And her mom hated this, hated this, hated this. Of course she did. And William eventually had to intervene. And there's some kind of intervention that happens there. I didn't get like the juicy details I wanted, though I'm sure they exist in like some record. Um, <laughs> but eventually Caroline did get to leave Han- Hanover. And in August of 1772, she went to England. And I read on this journey to England that she was first introduced to astronomy by seeing the constellations and, like, the opticians' shops. So I'm curious if there was, like, I didn't quite know what that meant. I was imagining signage on, Mm -hmm. like, eyeglass stores that maybe pointed her to the stars. Maybe she got glasses because she did have some vision loss. So I don't know. But she got kind of inspired 
or, you know, took an interest in astronomy on this journey to England. So now she's Mm -hmm. in Bath and she's back on the chores grind. (laughs) She's kind of taken (laughs) on the responsibilities of like running William's household now Mm -hmm. while she's learning to sing to support his like church performances. Right. She she stays like being being the the housemaid and also working a job. She's like always pulling double duty. Yes. But now she's doing it in the big city and in a language that she doesn't fully know yet. Right. Oh. And William established himself as like an organist and music teacher and he was also the the choir master at a chapel and he was pretty busy organizing these public concerts. Mm-hmm. And Caroline didn't really blend in with the community. Some sources said she struggled to make friends, but she was finally able to learn things. So despite doing chores, she was able to take these singing lessons, but also English and math lessons and even dance lessons from a nearby teacher. Um, She learned to play the harpsichord. She eventually became like a really, I say integral, but I I think it's integral part of William's musical performances. No, I think Um, integral. Yeah. I thought it was integral. I keep hearing people on other podcasts say integral and I'm like, but, I mean, people put emphasis on different things. But, I mean, she became this integral part of William's musical performances, and she became the principal singer at his concerts. So she gained this reputation as a vocalist. And so much so, she was offered a spot at the Birmingham Festival. I'm guessing not Birmingham, Alabama. That's what I was thinking, but I'm like, that wouldn't make sense. <laughs> no, there's got to be a Birmingham, England. And of course there is. <laughs> she kind of... um. She was kind of a diva in a fun way because she insisted that she would not sing for any other conductor besides her brother, William. Oh, that's healthy. So she never went to that (laughs) festival. And after the performance where she got spotted, I guess today we would say scouted. Mm -hmm. Discovered. She got discovered, which is me at the mall as a kid (laughs) being like, it's going to be me. Um, And her singing career kind of declined after that, but not really because of her just kind of Mm -hmm. naturally, because at the same time, William was getting pretty interested in astronomy. So the siblings had their last public musical performance in 1782, and William's becoming more interested in astronomy. He accepted the private office of court astronomer to George III. Yes. And because guess what? Huge twist to me. The previous year, William had discovered the planet Uranus. Woo! So I'm going to quickly tell you a little bit about William, and then we'll get into, like, some of the cool work Caroline did. Um, And because their stories are so closely bound, it feels like we kind of need to know of how she ended up here. So William is 12 years older than Caroline. His name is Wilhelm um, Mm -hmm. originally, so we won't call him that for now, but just so you know, Wilhelm. Wilhelm. (laughs) It's, like, such a German name. (laughs) It's It's a very German name, yeah. Um, him and his brother were in the Hanover Hanoverian Guards. So in Hanover, there were these guards that they were kind of like in, they served in, I think they served as musicians there too. Um, and when this, there was a threat of war with France was looming and they were recalled from England to go defend Hanover. And Hanover was defeated in this battle. So Father Isaac sends the two boys to seek refuge in England, which is how they ended up mm. in England. So it's late, like 1757 now, and the older brother, Jacob, he got dismissed from the Hanover, Hanoverian guards. I'm going to have a hard time <laughs> saying that. <laughs> but William was accused of desertion. And okay. I didn't really look into why, because I was really focusing on Caroline here. But eventually he gets pardoned for the desertion by George III. But not for 25 years. Like after he's a court astronomer? Yeah. Mm. So in 1782, when he takes this job, he gets pardoned for deserting the guards. 
Well, yeah, you can't have your royal astronomer who's like yeah. a, an, a deserter of the of the military. Exactly. That makes sense. Um, and he's 19 years old at the time when he goes to England. And he's like, a, he's a really good student. He picked up the English language really fast. And now he's going by the English rendition of his name, Frederick William Herschel. A few years, many symphonies performed and written later because he's this great musician. His sister Caroline arrives in England and they perform music together, like I said, before they transition to astronomy. But I will say the house they were sharing at this time, 19 New King Street in Bath, is now the location of the Herschel Museum of Astronomy. Oh, yay. Yeah, there's a whole like Herschel Society. Their family is very well known in astronomy circles. And yeah, it seems like seems like it. If you had money then, imagine what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. But he did still work for a wage. Like William worked for a wage in in Bath. So I saw one thing that was saying what he was getting paid. I think it was like 50 euro. It's four. It was 400 pounds a year. That feels like a lot in 1782 money. Yeah. As a as a choir director for a local church. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. That is what is what he made. He took a pay cut to become the royal astronomer. Okay, I'm doing a conversion on a website. This can't be correct, but it is on. <laughs> it is from officialdata.org. <laughs> oh, that's so official. That's so reputable. Okay, he was getting four hundred a year. Yeah, it's ten thousand dollars today. It's ten thousand dollars a year to. To yeah, so maybe direct that's... a choir is probably actually what choir directors get paid today. Yeah, and also I accidentally typed in forty thousand dollars or something when I first started looking at this four hundred thousand, and I was like, mm-hmm. "That's ten million dollars." <laughs> okay. Anyway, no, he wasn't rolling in it quite, quite that deep. But okay, this takes us to England. Caroline and William are right there, and they are leaving music behind. So long. So now now's the time to talk about their astronomy stuff. I think so. Okay. The the transition period also just seems kind of messy in general. I saw yes. mention of them having a millinery business. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so one of the skills that Caroline was prevented from picking up, but then later I think she like taught herself a lot, was seamstress stuff so like how how Mm -hmm. to sew how to make clothes along with that apparently also how to make hats which is what a milliner does and they uh seem to have had a a small milliner business that went out of business before william officially decided to transition over into doing astronomy full-time okay this is fascinating (laughs) because they really are doing a lot they're doing a lot caroline herschel had so many jobs throughout her career and it really was just based on the whims of her brother. She actually wrote in her in her journals, quote, I did nothing for my brother but what a well-trained puppy dog would have done. That is to say, I did what he commanded me. <gasps> so she just can she just is following William around. When they talked about how she wouldn't work with any um it's not a director conductor. who does the conductor. Thank you. Uh, besides her brother, part of me was like, "But was that her choice?" That's what I'm thinking Because none of this too. relationship seems healthy, and, and it's gonna look unhealthier as I continue to read more quotes from her journals <laughs> and her memoir, uh, which her niece-in-law mm-hmm. wrote. Um, I am fully willing to believe that this relationship was bad, but I, this does remind me that whenever I do write in my journal, it's when I'm in a really bad mood. And should anybody ever read them, they're going to be like, this girl was miserable. Everything was so hard for her. 
Right. Well, she was writing every day. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. So William decides that he wants to get more into astronomy. This was something that he, there was a lot of overlap between his music career and his astronomy career and apparently his hat making career before he switched (laughs) over. Uh, It was something that he would do at night. He would get home and he would like either read an astronomy book or he would look through some like rudimentary telescopes. But eventually he got tired of only reading what other people had learned and he wanted to find new stuff himself. And he was Mm. not pleased with any of the existing telescopes he could purchase. And so he started building his own with lenses. And so I think if he accompanied Caroline on her trip from Germany to England and they were stopped, like I can imagine that he is the one who's like, let's stop at all of these opticians uh, because he was interested in in glasses and lenses. That's a good call. Building these these telescopes. They they tried to make one out of some material, but it was so long. It was at least 10 feet long, like the tube of the telescope. And it was so long that it couldn't stay straight without something supporting the other end. So they experimented with uh, like making it out of tin instead so that it would be lighter and wouldn't bend under its own weight. So they, they really yeah. were like pioneering the improvement of telescopes at this time. Um, Caroline, meanwhile, is, quote, assisting him, <laughs> which <laughs> like if people back then were calling it assisting, like she was doing a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, She was grinding and polishing lenses for the mirrors for the telescopes. She was mounting the telescopes herself. She's this tiny little woman mounting giant telescopes. She was taking notes. Corinne, this woman was hand feeding her brother food. No. Yeah. There's a quote. There's a quote from her journals. By way of keeping him alive, I was constantly obliged to feed him by putting the victuals by bits into his mouth. This was once the case when, in order to finish a seven-foot mirror, he had not taken his hands from it for 16 hours together. So he's just working so hard that he can't eat, and oh she is spoon-feeding him. Okay, that is so. That is my hell. And also, take a break. Take a fucking break, dude. It's not that serious. Mm-mm. You're going to get there in the end. You're still going to make the telescope. Mm-hmm. And also, like, what? She, she has better things to do, bro. Then feed you food. That makes me feel insane. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, everything about that is just disgusting. (laughs) And I I hate it. I don't know about this guy. Mm Mm-hmm. It's important to say that these are two of the most famous astronomers in history, and yet neither of them had a formal astronomy education. And it's probably a good thing, because they didn't know what questions people had already assumed they answered. So they were going in with fresh eyes. Um, One of the leading thoughts at the time was that stars weren't worth studying. People were much more interested in studying things in the solar system. So the planets, Mm -hmm. the moon and the sun and the stars were seen as these like distant points of light that we we needn't bother with. Mm -hmm. That's really (laughs) funny to think. But I mean, if we didn't even have a great knowledge of the solar system, I can understand the baby steps approach. Yeah. Like we had not yet found all of the planets. Planets in the solar system. Yeah. Not that we knew there were other planets we hadn't found, but we were still grasping in the dark for, for a lot of things. And either way, it's good that they didn't know that classically trained astronomers weren't interested in stars because they decided, William decided, to study stars, specifically the faint ones and the ones in binary pairs. And so 
because he wanted to study the faint stars, he needed more powerful telescopes than anyone else was trying to make at the time. Mm -hmm. And he ended up seeing a lot of really faint objects like nebulae or clusters of stars and these binary stars. And together, William and Caroline, she he would do the observations and she would take notes and not just in like like some sort of administrative aid, like just taking down whatever he's saying. Like she's not transcribing. She is taking in the information he's giving her, synthesizing it, recording it in a way that can be like looked through later in an actual catalog mm -hmm. form. Like she's doing a lot of brain intensive labor yeah. while she's working with her brother. And so he's always trying to get bigger and bigger telescopes. With one of these bigger telescopes, he was able to discover Uranus. He did that on March 13th, 1781. It was a faint object at the time in the Gemini constellation. And he thought it was a comet. He was not right. He was wrong. He thought it was a comet. But then after repeated observation, he noticed that its orbit wasn't extreme like a comet's would be. Comets usually have really elliptical orbits and they're typically off axis with the plane of the solar system. So they seem to go like above and below the sun. They're mm -hmm. not in the same plane as all of the planets. After looking at this weird, faint, potentially a comet <laughs> thing for, for a little bit, he noticed that it wasn't a comet's orbit, but instead was orbiting in the plane of the planets. And so he announced to the astronomy world that there was this, uh, I guess, Uranus, Neptune, seventh planet, Mm -hmm. No, six. It was a planet that we had not yet <laughs> discovered. Huge news. I don't want to have to count while I'm doing a live recording. <laughs> uh, and, and because he discovered it, he got to name it. And he wanted to name it Georgium Sidus, which is Latin for George's star, because he uh, wanted to pay homage mm -hmm. to King George III, who was the ruler at the time. But other countries in the world, surprise, surprise, did not like naming one of the planets after yeah. the King of Britain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, can I can't imagine why. Yeah, tough one. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a real head scratcher. Yeah. Uh, but they won. And in order to keep with the conventions that all of the planets had names after mythological characters from Roman mythology, they decided to give it a mythological name. But it is different from the other planets in that it is the only planet named after a Greek deity instead of a Roman one, because oh. Uranus or Oranos is the Greek god, uh, the Greek titan, actually, of the, the heavens. And Oranos is Kronos's father. Kronos is the Greek version of Saturn. And then uh, Kronos or Saturn is Zeus's or Jupiter's dad. So they, we have the whole family tree now represented in the planets. Hey friends, it's Corinne. Happy New Year. As always, I want to take a minute to thank our patrons who support the show every single month. Thank you to our Sunlike stars, Sharn Llewellyn, Lissa, Scott Reynolds, and Ian O'Leary. And I'm recording this week's mid-roll a bit early for the holidays, so if you've joined our Patreon in the last week, first, thank you. We love you. And second, keep an ear out for your names on next week's episode. And I also have a podcast recommendation for you. It's for another pod in the Multitude Collective, of course. It's Join the Party, which is an actual play podcast with tangible worlds, genre-pushing storytelling, and collaborators who make each other laugh each week. The Dungeon Master is Eric Silver, and he's joined by emphatic players Amanda, Brandon, and Julia. 
and together they welcome everyone to the table, from longtime TTRPG players to folks who've never touched a role-playing game before and didn't know that TTRPG stands for Tabletop Role-Playing Game. You can hop into their current campaign, which is an awesome pirate story set in the world of plant and bug folk, or marathon their completed stories with The Camp Pain. That is a pun. It's a Monster of the Week game set in a weird summer camp. Their second campaign is a modern superhero game, and of course there's the first campaign, a high fantasy story, a classic. And once a month they release The After Party, where they answer your questions about the show and how they play the game. It really is for everyone. So what are you waiting for? Pull up a chair and join the party. Search for Join the Party in your podcast app or go to jointhepartypod.com. After finding Uranus, William Herschel was knighted and he was brought to King George's court to act to work as uh, George's court astronomer. So anytime King George wanted to be entertained by the heavens, it he, basically William was at his beck and call. Uh, but he he got a good deal, too, because King George was using all of his stolen resources to build telescopes that William really wanted to use. So it was a win-win for both of them. But William did end up taking a pay cut in order to be the the royal astronomer. And I don't know what his new pay was, but it it was less than the 400 pounds a year that he was making as the (gasps) choir director. But maybe now he didn't have to pay rent. Oh, yeah, maybe. (laughs) I have no idea. Was rent a thing? I don't... (laughs) I feel like it's always been a thing. Like, I imagine they would have owned their home. I imagine they would have owned their home in in Bath. I know. They're coming from old money. Are they coming from? Old? I don't know if they are. I actually don't know if they're. They like, might not, they're not be. Nobility, it's so literally it's old not. money. <laughs> <laughs> there was like Thanks. a New York Times podcast in December that was like, "Should you buy your rent?" And it was like, Excuse "What do me? I have to do? How about that?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of asking, "Should I buy your rent?" Just ask, like, "What is feasible in today's economy?" Yeah. And it's not buying. It was very. It was. It made me very feel weird. Silly. Okay, so he takes this pay cut. He takes this new job as the court astronomer, and he moves with Caroline. I don't know what's happened to Alexander. I don't know where Alex has gone in all of this, but he's just stopped being mentioned in any of the biographies that I read (laughs) about Caroline. So Caroline and William move from Bath to this the small town near Windsor Castle and Caroline is miserable. Uh, She wasn't like involved with much social networking or anything in Bath, but she still, I'm sure, missed the convenience of being in a more urban environment. Mm -hmm. So she's not happy here, but she does continue to uh, work with William and do some of her own observations on the telescopes that are now available. I have a little timeline of their astronomical contributions, mostly Caroline's. So on February 26, 1783, they've settled into their, their space around Windsor Castle. Caroline discovers an open cluster of stars that we now call NGC 2360. Uh, It's a faint, cloudy-looking spot in the sky that you wouldn't be able to see without a telescope. Uh, And she found it on her own without William's help, and we, like, he was gone. Like, Like, he just wasn't there. She discovered, uh, 14 new nebulae in the next few years. And uh, at the same time, William starts a survey of the night sky to try and find faint objects. Caroline, while he's doing his observations, writes down his notes. 
1785, they've been there for a couple of years, really into the groove of things. They have decided to publish a map of the Milky Way. And it is, uh, by most modern accounts, the first scientific attempt to map the, the Milky Way galaxy. Cool. And it's so wrong. Um, he's, <laughs> <laughs> so he, the, the method that William uses is he's counting stars in, in every direction. And he publishes this map in a paper called On the Construction of the Heavens. And he makes a lot of assumptions in this work. For, he assumes that the sun is at the center of the galaxy. This is also before we really know yeah. like what a galaxy is. But like... He assumes that the sun is at the center of the heavens. Mm -hmm. And he also assumes that all stars have the same brightness. So you can figure out how far away they are by measuring how bright they look to us. And that is how astronomers measure distances to stars. But we don't assume that all stars are the same brightness. We use stars that we know have a specific brightness that we can like calibrate everything else to. So he made some bad assumptions and came up with this map that looks so wonky. Um, maybe we can include it in the Instagram post for this mm -hmm. week or something, but it'll definitely be in the research notes that patrons get for this episode. It was so wrong. And it is unclear if Caroline was involved because he never included her as a co-author on any of his papers. So we don't she might have been, she might not have been, but I like to think that our homegirl would be like, William, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that would be, that would really <laughs> piss me off. Yeah, yeah. She probably didn't. She probably was, like, counting the stars right along with him. But Yeah, yeah. Uh, this paper title, by the way, On the Construction of the Heavens, unusually short for our boy William. Interesting. He was typically, like, the fallout boy of paper titlers because... If you just scroll through ADS, which is the like the repository of papers that I use, his titles are so long. May I read one to you, yes, Corinne? Yes, please. It's gonna it's gonna take a little bit, so sit down. Make sure you're comfy. <laughs> he has a paper that uh, was published in 1801 in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society of London, and that paper is titled. Additional observations tending to investigate the symptoms of the variable emission of the light and heat of the sun, semicolon, with trials to set aside darkening glasses by transmitting the solar rays through liquids, semicolon, and a few remarks to remove objections that might be made against some of the arguments contained in the former paper. Uh, that should be like the summary on the website for it the is. book. <laughs> it's like he just made the abstract, the paper title. Like, hey, this, there, I want there to be no doubt, no confusion. This mm -hmm. is what is in this paper. It's yeah. <laughs> Caroline's papers, the few that she did um, publish, had much shorter titles. Of course. Yeah. Um, and I think most of them had William as a co-author. But not all. Uh, so they made the, the map in 1785. The next year, on August 1st in 1786, Caroline discovered her first comet, and it is now called C-1786, the C for comet 1786 for the year, and then P-1, um, which is like some convention that we now use to determine which, of, which comet we mean. Uh, we know that she discovered it on her own because at the time, William was away delivering a telescope to some German university on behalf of King George, who was giving it to the university as a gift. Mm, so okay. he was away. She only uh, she, she was by herself doing it. 
Um, over the next 11 years, Caroline discovered seven more comets. Wow. Um, so for eight altogether. And she did uh, rediscover uh, a comet called the Enki Comet, which is the shortest period comet we have found to date. And so she like independently found mm-hmm. that. Uh, in 1787, by now, like Caroline, she's found comets. She has found nebulae. She's found star clusters. She has started her own little catalog of faint objects in the sky. And it's kind of impossible to deny that she is an astronomer in her own right. So in 1787, King George agrees to pay Caroline 50 pounds per year for her duties as her brother's assistant. And it does kind of suck that she's doing all of this independent research and she still is only formally recognized as her brother's assistant. But that little contract did make her the first woman in British history to earn money for doing science. And as far as we know, she was the first uh, like professional paid woman astronomer in like the world that has written history about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. I know. And so sad that it happened in 1787. Yeah, totally. It does feel like something. Hypatia would be so upset. Yeah. I'm thinking and like, what do I do for work? And who was the first woman to do it? <laughs> yeah, the first woman copywriter. Yeah. It's actually, it feels like impossible to know. Who's mm. the first cop? <laughs> it was me, actually. Let's start that. <laughs> Let's start that history. Uh, the the next year, this is a busy. The 1780s were a busy time for the Herschels. In 1788, William marries a rich widow. Her name's like Mary Pitt or something, and this changes Caroline's life, not for the better. Mm-hmm. She she has to move out of the house that she's been sharing with William, and she doesn't have to be his house maid or housekeeper anymore, which is nice, uh, but she no longer has like unlimited access to the observatories because she Ugh. doesn't live there and ha- her key has been taken away. Yeah. And there's a there's a lot of tension, it seems, between her and her brother and the, the new wife, but we don't really know exactly what Caroline's opinions of the whole situation were because she destroyed her personal journals from 1788 <gasps> to 1798. Whoa. Yeah. So we that don't have them I anymore. I want to know. I know that like there's got to be something juicy. Like you, yeah. like, you just know that she she made a burn book about her sister-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then she destroyed it when she was like, okay, I guess oh, we got to get along now. I that. Oh, yeah. I want to know. Yeah, because she did really like her nephew, John, and she wanted to be involved. So I guess after 10 years, she decided to be nice. Mm-hmm. Or like, like or there was some sort yeah. of reconciliation. I don't, I don't want to put it all on her or on the sister-in-law, but there was some sort of reconciliation. Um, and things seemed to get better for the Herschel clan after 1798. In that year... Caroline published, uh, it is kind of long, but nowhere near as long as her brother's paper titles, uh, a catalog of stars that she had been working on for a while. And it, it wasn't published under her name. It was published under William's name. Uh, but we now know that it, it was her catalog. And it's called uh, The Catalog of Stars Taken from Mr. Flamsteed's Observations Contained in the Second Volume of the Historia Colistes and Not Inserted in the British Catalog. And that's the that's a short Herschel sibling and that's title. That's like a snackable like headline. <laughs> uh, the the origin story for this catalog is that there was uh, the the first 
royal astronomer. Actually, they they called him the first astronomer royal. And I don't know if royal astronomer and astronomer royal are the same thing, or if an astronomer royal is like a royal person who's interested in astronomy. But I think it's just like mm-hmm. the royal court astronomer. His name was John Flamsteed. He was the royal the court astronomer for Charles II, and he put together a catalog of stars with their positions and their like relative brightnesses. And that was the like premier source of information for where stars are that British astronomers were referencing for mm, maybe 60, 70 years by that point. Mm -hmm. But it was imperfect and it was out of date. And the Herschel siblings kept running into issues because they were using this catalog as reference when they were doing their observations. Um, But it was wrong. And so it was throwing off their observations. And William was like, we got we got to update this catalog, but I don't have time for it. So you should do it, Caroline. And she spent 20 months uh, going through the the Flamsteed index and comparing it to the stars that they could see at the time and updating and cross-referencing and like improving the indexing of the catalog and that she published it, uh, but it was under her brother's name. And it was very useful for for a lot of astronomers for for decades afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. All in all, Caroline and her brother, but a lot of of this work is Caroline's. uh, She added hundreds of new nebulae and arranged a catalog, a list of 2,500 nebulae based on their coordinates. Uh, And that catalog was later expanded into the NGC catalog that modern astronomers use. And NGC stands for New General Catalog. So instrumental in establishing some resources that we still use today. And then there are like 20 missing years, at least in the easily accessible like public mm-hmm. biographies of Caroline Herschel, where it seems like she and, and William are like plugging along, doing some observations. And then William dies in 1822. And right after that, Caroline goes immediately back to Germany, where she continues doing her own observations and also starts assisting her nephew, John, who is now uh, like a pretty well-established astronomer in his own right. John Herschel did some some discoveries, but I'm not sure what. So I'm not going to say anything in this in this particular (laughs) moment. Um, John wrote about Caroline, quote, in the morning till 11 or 12. She is dull and weary. But as the day advances, she gains life and is quite fresh and funny at 10 or 11 p.m. And like, I relate so hard. I love that. I think I might be on the opposite schedule where I'm pretty, I'm cr- I crash pretty hard, but together, you and me, Moya, there's yeah. always someone who's going to be fresh and funny. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, we record at a time where we can, there's like overlap so we can both be fresh and <laughs> there's funny. There's a little bit of fresh and funny. We're handing off. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I used to feel so bad about the fact that I couldn't really get much work done before 11 or noon. Like no. I can't write when the sun is up or when I can see the sun. So yeah, I I loved seeing that quote because it just made me feel like Caroline and I have something in common. I love that. And uh, she continued to do her own work and was eventually recognized 
in more formal capacities for all of her contributions. So in, in 1828, she was given the gold medal by the Royal Astronomical Society for her recent reduction to January 1800 of the 2500 nebulae discovered by her illustrious brother, which may be considered as the completion of a series of exertions probably unparalleled either in magnitude or importance in the annals of astronomical labor. So she was given this gold medal for like helping her brother do groundbreaking work. Mm -hmm. The Royal Astronomical Society is still around. Um, all of the papers that I published in grad school were published in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. Cool. Mm -hmm. In 1835, she was made an honorary member of the RAS. She and, and it was some some other woman at the same time, but I don't remember who. They were the first women ever granted any sort of membership to the society, even though it was honorary. And then three years later, in 1838, she was made an honorary member of the Royal Irish Academy. Very exciting. In 1846, she was awarded a gold medal for science by the King of Prussia. No big deal. Huh? And she died on January 9th, 1848. I don't know from what, but she was she was like 97 years old. That's, so yeah, that's a really long life. Back then, hell yeah. So she she lived a long life, worked many careers, mm -hmm. had so many accomplishments. She was buried in Hanover next to her parents. And would you like to hear the the final nail in the coffin that is how weird and unhealthy this sibling relationship <gasps> is? Oh my gosh, yes. Dying to know. She's buried next to her parents with a lock of William's hair. What? Yeah. Weird. I want an HBO drama about this. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Dibs, first great first concept we're going to do of the year. <laughs> but, but, oh, but with HBO, that means, like, they... Yeah, it depending was on how really dramatized up. it is, yeah. it's gonna be like that. The scene of Caroline feeding William, like oh. that's gonna be a romance scene. They're gonna yeah. turn it into that. Yeah, I actually don't want anything to do with this show, Corinne. You can take well, it. Well, then, listeners, want. I'm looking for a co-collaborator. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline Herschel leaves behind an amazing legacy. There are several astronomical objects named after her. Uh, there's the asteroid. Uh, that she, I don't think it's the asteroid she found, but it is nicknamed Lucretia because that's her middle name. There's a crater on the moon called C. Herschel after her. And there's a star cluster called Caroline's Cluster. Um, and it's the one that she discovered on her own for the first time, NGC 2360. Uh, we very appropriately named it after her. Um, but there are also like awards and, and other things that exist today that have been named after her. So the, the Royal Astronomical Society Caroline Herschel Medal was started in 2022. And it's given annually for the last two years. It has been given annually to an established researcher for their outstanding contribution to the field of astrophysics. And it alternates between a UK uh, scientist and a German scientist to represent like the background that Caroline had in both Germany mm -hmm. and the UK. There uh, is something called the Herschel Society, and their job is to educate people about the life and work of the Herschel family and do some philanthropy. So they have the Caroline Herschel Prize Lectureship, where they invite someone to, to come give a, a talk, and I assume there's a small stipend that goes along mm -hmm, with it. Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there's a school in South Africa called the Herschel's Girls School that was founded in 1922. And they have an award that they launched in 2017 to celebrate their extraordinary alumni. And, and that is just, you know, like the, the top 
of the barrel, the tip of the iceberg or whatever idiom you want to use. Like the, there's so many glass ceilings that Caroline Herschel yeah. broke. She was the, the first woman to be paid as a professional astronomer. She was, um, like, that's just like, that's a really big one. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, she, a huge she, one. <laughs> yeah, she was the first woman to work professionally as an astronomer. Uh, she got paid. She found comets. She found lots of things in the sky that we needed to know about. And mm -hmm. so it's no surprise that there are plenty of awards and organizations and, and whatever named after Caroline Herschel. There's no shortage of them out there. Yeah. Which is good. She deserves yeah. it. I love that. All four foot three of her deserves yeah. all of these flowers that she gets. There's <laughs> there's a very funny old NASA website that has not changed, I want to say, since the 90s. It's like a very <laughs> like crude website with like a star background that like you could barely read the text because of the like <laughs> graphics. But it had this really fun thing where it was like trivia question. And it was like, why is Caroline Herschel so small? And it was so funny that, that it said that because there really wasn't a lot of context. Like, you weren't even thinking, is this person small? Yeah. <laughs> Until you get to that trivia question. And then underneath that, it said, like, look at level two of this page. So it was like, that was the, the kind oh. of elementary version. And there's like a middle school version. I loved it. Oh, that's amazing. Also, that story reminds me of the Mean Girls scene where they're like, you can't just ask someone why they're white. Like, you yes. can't just ask someone <laughs> why they're small. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I really want to read her journals. And I'm sad mm -hmm. that we missed 20 years. I'm curious what happened. Yeah, just just 10 years. But I, um, oh, I included her memoir, which John Herschel's wife wrote like 20 years after Caroline died. Oh, her nephew's wife. Her nephew's wife, yeah. Cool. And she, she wrote a memoir about Caroline. She collected a bunch of her uh, journals and correspondence. And that is that has been digitized by like... Ohio State University or, or something. It's mm -hmm. in this week's research notes. Uh, so you can cool. go and read her, her stuff if you subscribe to our Patreon. Thanks, Caroline. Thanks for all the sass. Yeah. Thanks for being fresh and funny. Yes. <laughs> but only <laughs> only when it gets close to 10 but p.m. But only between 10 and 11 p.m. <laughs> a woman after my own heart. That's when I get a little loopy. I'm like, it's time for me to go to bed. It's good that you know yourself, Corinne. I know. Do you have any um, New Year's resolutions, <gasps> New Year's resolutions before we go? I I don't really do a resolution, but I do try to have a theme every year for like a, a skill or a quality that I'm trying to grow slash improve. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in the past, it's been I wanted to work on being chill Moya. Um, I wanted to work on being fun Moya. And this year, I think I want to work on being radically honest Moya. Ooh. Just like I like com that. Completely transparent. Uh, I want to eliminate any sort of people-pleasing tendencies that I have that make me less honest than I would want to be. Mm -hmm. And just really really tell people how I'm feeling when I'm feeling it, but not in a in a brutal way. Like I'll still yeah, have empathy, but but like not yeah. compromising actions you might take mm -hmm. to protect somebody's feelings. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. 2024 is the year of Honest Moya, or like the the return of Honest Moya, because that's how yeah. I was as a kid. <laughs> yeah, that do, that is one of the qualities that kind of gets taken away from you as you mm -hmm. get older, especially as a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you? I think that's great. I am, I'm in a similar boat of like, I'm not really, I kind of think of one or two things that I want to 
enhance or improve. I want to um, go on more walks, and I and that was something I said last year, and I did do it, and I'm really glad. And now I just want to do it even more. But I think specifically, I want to hike more because I really Ooh. love doing that, and I I do it like maybe twice a year, and I want to do it. Um, I want to do it more. It's something I really love doing. I love being outside, and I think I didn't realize how much I loved being outside until probably till I moved to Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, and Maine has such nice hiking. I know. That's why I'm like, I, I should be doing it way more. Um, and kind of coupled with this is I don't drive. And this year I really want to. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be walking and driving. Nice. I love that. It, I, for the last like three years, learn to drive has been on, on my list yeah. of things I want to get to. And I just, I keep putting it off. But if I didn't I believe live, in you. If I lived in New York, I never this would not be on my list. Um, I think it's just like the nature of being anywhere outside of New York, which is so cruel because I love a city. I love a walkable city. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. New York's great. Maybe you'll come back one day. Yeah. I'm going to drive back. Yeah. (laughs) Full circle. Exactly. And listeners, wherever you are in in January of this year, whenever you're listening to this, I hope you remember that you are space. Yeah, you are. Bye. Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye. Bye.